The first step in getting closer to God is to realize that you need to or that you want to. And the second step in getting closer to God is to realize that it's possible. I want to encourage you to check out my book, Getting Closer to God, Anthologies from the Forefront Trilogy, Book 2. I think this will really be helpful to you in your pursuit of the Lord and help you understand what I learned over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer, as a minister, and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth. Check it out. Anthologies from the Forefront, book two, Getting Closer to God. It's on Amazon. Welcome to From the Forefront, an ethics missions podcast. Stories about courageous souls who felt the call of missions and obeyed. Hey guys, Scott McClelland here. We are really honored this month with the appearance of Tony Hedrick. Tony has been in ministry for many, many years, and uh, especially in missions since 2000. We have uh, been friends for some time. We finally had the opportunity to sit down with Tony and go over some of his work in Italy, specifically on this program, you're going to hear about something about Tony's upbringing, about him meeting the Lord, and some about his work in Europe. We ran out of time before we ran out of stuff to talk to, so I think we'll have Tony back pretty soon. But uh, specifically here, his, his story is a real inspiration to me, and I think it will be to you also. If you want to reach out to Tony or know more about what his ministry is up to or about, check out the very end of the podcast where Tony gives his contact and other website information and such. Thanks again for joining FX Missions from the Forefront and reach us at fxmissions.com. Tony is uh, with ACCI. I guess actually, Tony, you founded ACCI a few years back. Yeah, I, I started in uh, 2000. It started as a Canadian agency out of Pinoca, Alberta. It had been an agency which had been uh, kind of overseen by a group called New Life Literature out of Norway. It was a partnership, Canadian-Norwegian partnership, and the guys uh, uh, became older along the way. And uh, we just went and asked them, said, would you mind if we uh, assumed your agency? Mm -hmm and continued with New Life Literature, looking after them in Sri Lanka, and then at the same time, uh, begin to incorporate some of our own vision for a revived agency. So uh, we changed the name to Adventive Cross-Cultural Initiatives, from ACCI to Adventive Cross-Cultural Initiatives. And the reason we use that kind of language is that uh, we wanted to be have a kind of a name that would allow us to uh, uh, would be able to go through entry points that would might be closed countries and things. So mm -hmm. our work would appear not only as being and we are we make no we make no apology for being uh, evangelical and biblical and evangelistic and all of that. But we also wanted to have the kind of name that would allow us to do uh, relief work and development work and that sort of thing and have good receptivity on the other side. So we took that name. The only problem with that name, Scott, is that in some parts of the world, when we say inventive, 
they automatically assume we're Adventist. So we just stopped using we stopped using Adventive and said ACCI so that we wouldn't have to answer those questions, right. uh, whether we were Adventist. But the name really, it's kind of a neat thing to tell you about the name because uh, we tried to put two things together, which is adventure uh-huh. and the idea of inventive and adventure together, adventive. And we really look for entrepreneurs, people who want to go start new things and try to encourage them and try to uh, support them as they do it. So we're not a we're not a centrally driven mission. It doesn't come out of our headquarters. We are field driven. You understand that idea. Mm-hmm. We really look to the missionaries on the field to give us direction and impetus about what needs to be done. We don't just set out a directive from Canada or from the United States. This is what we want done and then have people fulfill our vision. We're here to help them fulfill their vision. So we wanted people who were adventurous and inventive. And the word inventive is really a botanical word. It's really kind of interesting how we arrived at it. It really means this is to take a plant from one place and plant it in another place that's hostile and to cultivate it until it grows. So the word was really quite good, even though nobody had ever heard of it. So uh, we just call ourselves uh, ACCI, and that that makes it easier to get around. Well, that's very cool. The fact that the meaning of that name snuck up on you guys is is pretty interesting, too. Now, you guys operate in the States and Canada now, correct? Yeah, actually, we have three locations. The first one is Nepean, Ontario, Canada which is a suburb of Ottawa, the capital city. Uh And then we're down here right near Charlotte in a place called Rock Hill, which is a suburb of Charlotte. You know it well, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we also have an office, uh, our offices in Western Europe and Parma, Italy. Uh, We're all over the world. We're on all five continents. But those are the three main areas where we have uh, uh, what you might call officing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Permanent, permanent folks doing their stuff. Yeah, I know you yeah. got permanent folks all over the country, but in terms of officing, well, that that makes sense. Cool. I didn't. I actually yeah. didn't know you had uh, kind of your offices there in Italy, which is a, yeah. kind of a great lead-in to what I wanted to talk to you about. And and if I I'm guessing right here, I think we'll probably have you on the show. Uh, <laughs> you know, downrange a couple of times. Of course, we've been friends, and you're quite an inspiration to me in the work that we're doing. Yeah, so thank you. I wanted to talk a little bit about your Italy work. I know sure, sure. if, if I remember right here, as you'd mentioned, you, you've been in Italy 41 times in the last 18 years. And you have, uh, your ministry there, though you go back and forth. And I think of course you're kind of stationed there in, in the Carolinas, in terms of a permanent home base, you're back and forth a good bit in what is not typical short-term work. Can you tell us, just give us a little, I guess, a little summary of your work in Italy, where you're concentrating, what that's led to, and what you what you anticipate that leading to. And then I'd like to go back after we talk about that and, and maybe get a little bit of the beginning of your story, how you got to Italy and uh, and such. So, What's the summary for for Italy? You've been there all those numbers of times over these some few years. What what's the deal? I think it it all has to do with, you know, a clear calling. I planted three or four churches. 
Uh, I've been a businessman at the same time, both bivocational, and uh, that's mm-hmm. up in Canada. And then I ended up teaching at a Bible college in Minnesota, actually a, a more of a missions preparatory Bible college for right. missionaries. So kind of that, I got called out of all of that to missions at 54 years of mm. age. So I've only been doing this for, I'm 72 now, so I've only been doing it 18 years. So the story is pretty interesting. I, I didn't I didn't expect to do that. I had no the only thing I knew about Italians is that they made pizza and they did uh, drywall and they uh, <laughs> they paved roads and built good bricks, the brick homes and, you know, and they cut great hair. And, you know, in Canada, you have a lot of Italians around here, but I, I didn't pay much attention to Italy. And now uh, when I went, of course, uh, 18 years ago, I was the uh, I was the only one, uh, at least in my sphere of experience, that had any heart for Italy. I didn't know anybody else. I had no contacts in Italy. And, and when God called me to go there, we had no other workers. And now we have about 20. A lot of those people are uh, nationals who are Italians themselves who have come to work with ACCI. And my goals right now, primarily, I divide my time. I'm in quite a few countries, as you'll hear later, but I divide my time a little bit between Slovenia, which is not Slovakia, Slovenia, Slovenia, which is part of the old Yugoslavian world, and it's Croatia, Slovenia, it's right near Hungary, mm-hmm. and it's uh, Austria, Switzerland, and Italy kind of border it. And so I kind of uh, spread my time out a little bit between Slovenia and Italy. The lion's share of what I do is in Italy, and I'm largely now, I do, I've always done evangelism, continue to do pulpit evangelism, personal evangelism, but I think mostly now it's missionary encouragement and pastoral development and leadership training and uh, apologetics teaching, evangelism. I teach Bible. I do, I preach in churches and our contacts and workers go from Rome to a place called Babio Palice, which is way up almost on the Swiss border, mm. over to the east to a, a place called Citta di Castello and uh, uh, Sisi, which is over in Umbria and uh, Marche, the, those on the eastern side of uh, Italy near the Adriatic Sea. Mm all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea on the west to Cesare Levante and uh, Cavari. And so our work takes us from the north all the way down to the south, from the east to the west. And we have we not only have our own missionaries there, but we also have other workers and friends in ministry. About 15 other agencies align with us and work alongside, and then lots of independent churches. It could be that one uh, one Sunday, I'll be in a church that is uh, a Methodist, uh, charismatic Methodist. Uh, the next one, I'll be at something like a uh, reform, Baptist reform. The next week, I'll mm. be, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? It's, there's no denominational style mm-hmm. or particularly worship style or ministry style or philosophy of ministry that we dovetail with. We work with everyone who has the same heart. So, uh, our kind of our motto is, if your heart is this, my heart, then give me your hand. Mm. So we mm. work out of relationships. And that's kind of the way it's been. When I went there, I didn't know anybody. And now I always make a little joke that 
uh, in Italy, if I have a flat tire anywhere in Italy, I can pick up the phone in 30 minutes. Somebody will come and change my tire. So lots of relationships. And uh, by God's grace, mm-hmm. he's opened up a lot of doors. Sure. So, wow. Wow. And all of these all of these people that we serve alongside of are really great and deep friends of mine. They're really wonderful people and uh, love these Italian brothers and sisters. That, and we have some Americans there, too, and Canadians, but largely these Italian folk that were working next door to each other side by side really are great partners. Kudos to you and thank you for your efforts in Europe. I know that's uh, where missions efforts go to die. Some people say, I don't personally believe that, but, uh, (laughs) but it doesn't sound like uh, you guys are, are drying up on the vine there, but expanding like that uh, plant that was rooted in unfamiliar ground and cultivated to flourishing. Thank God for, his goodness and thank God for, you know, the folks that have come along to to join with you and, and partner with you and be a part of what's going on. Well, you know, really, Scott, the, the work is totally uphill all of the time. Mm. Uh, evangelicals are viewed in Italy uh, the same as Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Okay. And actually, Jehovah's Witnesses are larger by far than evangelical believers in terms of numbers. Serious. Yes. We only have about a half a million of all varieties of evangelicals in all of Italy with about 60 million people. We only have about a half a million. Oh, my. So we're a little less than 1% of all the people, whereas Jehovah's Witnesses, who are incredibly active, have about 2 million or more, 2 million plus. So, But we are viewed as... um, only a religion, only a belief system for foreign people. In other words, Italians look at us as not being Italian. Mm-hmm. When they look at us as being Filipinos or being South Americans or being Africans, like from Nigeria or Ghana. Uh-huh. So we're not identified as Italian because if you become an evangelical in Italy, you lose your Italianness. Huh. Because to be Italian is to be Roman Catholic. Right. Now, that being said, most people don't go to the Catholic Church anymore. They stand largely empty except for christenings and weddings and funerals. So, And the, and the and numbers are startling, you know. Uh, even in Rome, they say that less than uh, 8% of Rome attends church on Sunday, less than 8%. And when I said that out loud, a priest, a young priest— in Rome, came over to me who spoke English. I was talking to another priest, and I asked if that was so. Is it only 8% of all of Rome that goes to Mass on Sunday? This was in Rome. I asked the question. <laughs> a, an Italian guy says, no, no, that is not true. That's not true. <laughs> was, wow. I didn't know what he was wow. going to do. And he says, only 5%. <laughs> and they are all they're all priests and nuns. <laughs> it, was a, it became a joke, but... The the truth is, is that Italy is um, a largely anti-theist, and you, you all have to know that, that most of Europe is anti-theistic. Not only are they atheists many times, but they really believe that religion's dangerous, and we shouldn't have religion in the public square at all, and that religion is not something even, uh, it's something to, that needs to be opposed so to present the gospel is uh, viewed as they view you as being totally insane to believe in creation, to believe in the resurrection, to believe in the virgin 
Uh, even in Italy, to believe in the virgin conception, uh, they don't believe those things. They hear them from the priest, but to them, uh, no one knows for sure if anyone rose from the dead. That's what they'll tell you. Wow. Here's what they'll say. They'll say, well, I said, well, why, why are you a Catholic then? Why don't you? Well, if it happens to be true, <laughs> if it turns out to be true, I want to have some points. <laughs> so that's why I, that's why I go to mass at Christmas and things. It's, uh... This is what people don't know. Is there a hundred times more occult practitioners in Italy, occult practitioners, than there are Catholic priests? A hundred times more. Oh, wow. There's tons of astrology and tarot cards and fortune telling. Very superstitious people. Mm-hmm. So they really, there, there is still this vacuum, but it's being filled by occultism. Yeah. So yeah. people don't understand that at all about Italy. That is that is fascinating. Yeah, I am completely surprised. Of course, I've committed to going with you to Europe at, at, at one of these junctures, and you'll you and the audience praying together might might, <laughs> might, might might help me make good. It has nothing to do with desire to be there, or I can promise you, I, I definitely want to get that kind of time with you. It's just an issue of availability, uh, bandwidth, as some people call it. Well, I know what that's like. You know, I get invitations to uh, India and Africa and mm-hmm. and uh, to go with you. And, you know, there's only so much time. Yeah. And uh, if you're going to be effective, you have to really uh, bear down on what you're doing. You can't you can't run all over the world, I think. Well, I think I'm an itinerant, so I'm in a lot of countries. But yeah. you have to really have a focus and you can't spend my focus as Western Europe. Because I work best in a non-spiritual culture. I work okay. best uh, because of my apologetics background. I work uh-huh. best in a culture that doesn't believe in spiritual world at all. Uh, hmm. If you go to Asia or go to South America or go to Africa, there's still a culture there. All the culture believe in cer- certain kinds of uh, invisible realities. Right. Animism. Right. Animism. So mm-hmm. you have something more in common to begin with, whereas uh, just out of the gate in Europe, they shut you down because they they're they don't believe that there's such a thing as a spiritual world at all. Wow. That sounds like uh, Sadducees, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or or that sort of repressive uh, perspective when it comes to the spirit realm. But it's yeah. interesting that you work best there. That's very interesting, and obviously the Lord knew what He was doing when He sent you there. Can, if we can, if we can digress slightly here and just go back, I'd like to. I think we are speaking here to a, to a lot of guys who are and girls and and people who are trying to get their perspective on missions. Some are trying to keep going. Some some are right. trying to uh, get going, and others are trying to figure out if they've got somewhere the Lord's sending them. So, yes. if we could step back just a little bit, I know at there was a time in your life where fairly significant transition was upon you. You were going from something that you were good at, established in, and that. And the Lord called you out of that and sent you on your way. I would guess that'd be right around the the turn of the century, uh, the Y2K, if you will. It sounds yeah. like from a timing yeah. standpoint. What can you tell us about how you got to Italy, the process leading up to that? And then I know there was... I've heard this story some, so I, I remember it well, but my mind for details would not be <laughs> the best retelling of this. So 
What was going on when you started transitioning out of your what you were doing at the time and began to feel like Italy might be on your radar? You know, as a kid, uh, I want to go back there because as a kid, and this may help some of your listeners, because God starts to form us very early. And as a child, my dad uh, was a pastor. I didn't become a believer until mm-hmm. I was 30, a committed Christian. But my dad, he was converted uh, in his 30s and had a great heart for missions. So I grew up in a home where we were reaching out to American Indians, to uh, First Nations people. So always mm. in our house, we had uh, all kinds of tribes of Indians. I was fascinated by these people. We had everything from Choctaw, Seminole, Sac and Fox, Poncas, Ojibwa. <laughs> uh, we had Blackfoot and, you know, I just know them all. Cheyenne, Arapaho, Osages. We had Indians all around us of all these different cultures. So I grew up having that kind of exposure. Plus, we always had lots of missionaries coming to our our home. When they'd visit the church that my dad would be in, mm. he would bring them to the house. So I was, as a kid, I, if somebody came in and they started talking to us in another language, I wanted to hear that. If they wore a funny hat, I wanted to know about the hat. You know, I think God was mm. setting me up for the future as a child. And I remember my dad would get these um, books on missions and missionaries like uh, David Brainerd and uh, Hudson Taylor and uh, Gladys Alward. And and he had these purple books. I still remember maroon books laying around the house, which are were written for juveniles. But I read every one of them as a kid, David Livingston. So I had within me this heartbeat instilled in me very early for people, for other cultures. Maybe there are people out there listening to you that just have a heart for other cultures. I didn't have a heart for Mm -hmm. Italians, but I had a heart for people who were black or brown or came from uh, different different, uh, realities than I did. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to know about their food and how they lived. So when I was saved, I was saved in Canada and called to ministry, but I was a businessman. And, but we still reached out to Quebec. We still went up and went with the, worked with the Algonquin Indians. And uh, wherever there were other cultures, we would try to, it was my heart to reach out to these people. So wow. while I was living in a very white, waspy society and my business life was wasp and white, my ministry life was largely white. I extended myself to people of other cultures. So in about 1993 or so, 1992, some Mm -hmm. of my students, some of my people, young people in my church had gone to uh, Bloomington, Minnesota to attend uh, Bethany College of Missions. Now, my daughter had gone there and that's how I knew about it. So I would refer these young people to Bethany College of Missions, which is now called Global, Bethany Global University. So okay. I, uh, my daughter went down and I got fascinated about the school and what they were trying to do. They were preparing people for missions and my daughter had been called to missions. So they heard about me after a while because about five or six of my young people had gone there to school and they said, well, why don't we have Tony come down and teach? So I started teaching down there part time, usually in January. At some point, I felt called of God to go and teach at Bethany College of Missions, but I was pastoring a church and had a business. Well, slowly the Lord began to move me out of that. I mm. 
retired. I sold my business and I moved out of the church. I handed in my resignation of a church that I had pastored for 14 years, loved the people, but felt it was time for change. And they then called me to come and teach at Bethany College of Missions. So we packed up and went to Minnesota from from Ottawa, Canada. When I got down there, I got to thinking, I got to thinking as my uh, as my son, Matt, went off to Slovenia to do his internship. He was also a student there. He came home from Slovenia and I got kind of upset. I said, why are my kids going off to France to live? They go off to Czechoslovakia and Germany. <laughs> my other son goes off to Slovenia for 11 months and I've never been, I've never been anywhere. I didn't think it was fair. So I said to my son when he came home from Slovenia, I said, hey, if I get the money together, how about you and I going over to Slovenia together and see what, what you did over there and meet some of your friends? So we did that. We, we decided in 1995, he and I, 96, that we would go together and we would start in England and go to Holland, down to Germany, through Austria, into Slovenia, Croatia, where I was going to speak. And then come across the Mediterranean, come across the uh, Adriatic to Italy, up through Italy, France, and return home. So that was our wow. trip. It was going to be six weeks to see Europe together. And I raised the money, and I had a ministry appointment or two, and we had some friends over there. So I went to see them, and we went off together. When we got to Slovenia, enjoyed that, went to Croatia, spoke at a conference. Now I'll tell you, this is crazy. That was the worst ministry experience of my life. Have you ever had that <laughs> where you go someplace and you have you think it's going to be great? And I went to Croatia and I just had a horrible time in Croatia and I was so mm. discouraged. I thought it was just terrible. So mm. we went to get on the uh, ferry to go over from Zadar to Ancona, Italy. That's about an all night ride on the ferry. But when mm. I got on that ferry, there were six guys who had been on bicycles from Torino, Italy, and I began to witness to them. And the power of God on that deck, the power of God came on me. And I was just so excited in that witness, and they were so receptive. And then we went downstairs in the ferry, and there was a young, a young girl and her mother. They were coming back from Croatia to uh, to Ancona where they live and I began to witness to them and they were so warm hearted they said look you when we land in Ancona you must come to our house to stay and I said no we can't do that we have a we have a hotel arranged she said oh well then you follow us we'll take you right to the hotel and when I got to the hotel <laughs> I engaged the hotelier in the gospel and he was wide open and and I just said to my son I said you know what I think my heart began to just melt for the Italian people. I didn't know a thing about it. Wow. And I said to my son, I said, I think God's calling me to Italy. Now, I had a job teaching. You know, mm -hmm. it, it was a good job. I got to take the summers largely off and go fishing and that sort of thing and grade wow. papers and lecture and got paid to do that. And I had a great, but this meant, this meant that, and you know what it's like, Scott. This meant that I was going to have to throw myself upon the gospel. I was going to have to do mm. this again. I'd done it several times when the Lord had called me to plant a new church or something. But all of a sudden, I was going to have to give up my job and throw myself on the gospel and throw myself upon support. Now, there are people listening who that scares the life out of them. And it yeah. scared the life out of me. But I want to say that in 20 years, the Lord's never failed me. 
I've always had enough for 20 years. I started with $1,500 the first year and had to raise more and more all the time to support more and more missionaries and do more and more things. And the Lord has continued to provide. So here's my point. God does not always call the qualified, but he always qualifies the called. You know that one. A.W. <laughs> Toza said, God does not always call the qualified, but he always qualifies the called. And so when God calls yeah, you, absolutely. if he calls you, he'll look after you. And you can't worry about a paycheck coming every two weeks. You can't worry about that. If God calls you, you have to be obedient, and he'll provide what you need. So I called my wife out who was working for a major publisher as an editor. She was our only real, she would be our only real source of income now. And we had a house to pay for, and we had we had payments and all of that stuff and health insurance. And all. I said, I brought her out on the deck of the back porch. I'm 54 years old. I can't speak. But arrivederci, I could say, uh, I could say ciao, I could say grazie. Uh, that's what I knew about Italy. I, I, mm. I, now I can speak Italian fairly well, but at that time, I only knew three or four words. And she came out on the, on the back porch and I said, well, I have to tell you something. She said, what? I says, this isn't easy, but I think God's calling me to Europe and to Italy. She looked at me like, wow, really? That was so out of the blue. And she knew what it meant. She's always packed her stuff up, moved when God called us. You know, she knew, oh, no, what does this mean? I said, I don't think it involves you right now or your job or anything. But I think the Lord wants me to quit teaching and, and go over there. It was like a Macedonian call. Go and help them. Mm-hmm. Because I don't see any Christians there. There are no Christians. Nobody knows the gospel. They've never heard it. Wow. There wouldn't be a one in 50,000 people that would be able to tell you what the gospel is, that Christ died for you. You don't have to earn your salvation. You don't have to you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. You don't have to have, go through all the rituals of the church. You don't have to please the priest in the Vatican. They don't know that. Mm-hmm. So I told her that. And she's a slow processor. You know, so a couple of days she came back to me. She said, you know, Tony, she said, if the Lord's called you to go to Italy, then that's what you need to do. That meant that everything was going to be thrown on her. Boy, you talk about scary. And slowly over a period of a couple of years, I managed to, to transition out of my work and out of my job. I went, started going to Italy. And you know that story a little bit about when I first landed in Italy and how I, I didn't know what I was doing. And it wow. scared me to death. Uh, I mean, we can yeah, talk about well, it. Well, I... That story is indelibly imprinted on my mind. From hearing it once, where you with us on the Bro Summit last time, I think I would, if possible, like to save that particular story for a second rendition of this from the forefront. We're we're about sure. we're about eighty percent through with our our allotted time here, and it's been spent wonderfully. No no concern there. But if you'd agreed to it, I, I'd like to get you back to talk about those first those first shaky steps uh, on the ground in Italy. Uh, there is something to that story and I, I thank God for it. And I, you know, I think I thank the Lord for your your story in general because uh, you know, I relate to it because uh, you know, it's similar to some of the stuff I've been through. You're just a you're a little more than an arm's reach in front of me in terms of progress in life. It's a real inspiration to me. And I'm thankful for your your testimony and to step out and kind of 
start over at 54 years old, it requires a type of courage that I think a lot of people don't have to access in life. Obviously, the grace of God accompanies the call. So we don't look to ourselves for that courage, but there definitely is some participation. <laughs> and I don't want to minimize That's that right. either, either. You know, right. you have to you have to step out. Yeah, you have to cooperate with God, you know. You uh, absolutely. Absolutely. We I did the same or something very similar, not the same, but something very similar in my early to mid forties there. And I know after this last round of starting over with a wife and a family and a household and all that stuff that it's a it's a challenge and you kind of say wow thank god for the fruit and thank god for the the new direction and we're collaborating with him on this new opportunity something he's pointed us to but i hope i don't have to do that again <laughs> oh boy it's hard I guess so. it's hard it's hard to start over it is. so but it thank is. god for i mean we look for meaning in him not in ourselves, not e even in yeah. our work. We look for meaning in Him. So that is, for me, we, we've we done that three or four times, like you have, sure. and you may have done it a few yeah. more. But every time we do that, it makes me think about and remember that we look for our meaning in the Lord. We don't look for it in our uh, how much progress we've made, our sense of self doesn't come from our giftedness or or any of our results or any of that kind of thing. It, it comes from the Lord. And when you start over, that's a that's a gut check, you know, that's a, yeah, that's but, a you recent. Know, you know, Scott, don't who wants to not have stories when life comes to the end, when as they use the phrase now, at the end of the day, at the end of the day. I mean really I want to have stories. Uh, mm. And so, so many people live their lives that they haven't really tried God out when God tells them to do something. And so they live lives that are uh, so much less than what they could have. Mm. You know, God gives us opportunities that are just uh, abounding with uh, with uh, excitement. And uh, I I wouldn't be able to tell these stories if I hadn't trusted God. And, you know, mm. I mean, you've been an encouragement to me because <laughs> I think we're cut from the same cloth. Yeah. You know, we see something and though it seems beyond our reach, we know that God is in it. And when we know that God is in it, we say, why would I want to miss that? You yeah. know, I don't want to end up at the end of my life, looking at my life and saying I sat in a cubicle I process numbers. I, if I can say to anything uh, to anybody out there, don't do that. Build into your life uh, uh, opportunities to serve. Build into your life trips to places like Mexico or Guatemala or to Thailand I, to work with orphans in Thailand. You, you can change. You can't do everything, but everyone can do something. Mm. And that way you can say when you're when you're finished, I did that. I tried God out and God proved himself faithful. Wow. And yes, I've been there. I so many people live what I call landlocked lives. They mm. they live on an island and the world's huge and God's God's world is uh, immeasurably interesting. And wow. so I I just thank God that what you don't have sometimes what we don't have in money <laughs> uh -huh. you and I can say it, well we don't have money. I don't have a cottage. I don't have a 30 foot motorboat. I don't have that, but yeah. I've got stories. Oh, I've yeah. got people I know all over, and I've been playing. How many people from a small farm in Oklahoma, that's where I come from, 
whose mm. father had one arm. His arm was off at the shoulder and his mother was totally deaf. How many people do you know that have made 41 trips to Europe? Wow. Most people have not been around the block in, you know, in life. Yeah. And that's something that God did. And I can say, you know, that's remarkable. It's impossible, in fact, in my life to think that that would have been done when I was when I was 20 years old to yeah. think that that would have been reality. I'm reading it loud and clear, Tony, and I, I, I'm inspired. And, you know, I want to just go on record here because I think your words are inspiring more than just me right now. I want to encourage the people who are thinking about this, who are feeling the tug of the Lord, the Holy Spirit speaking and drawing them. I want to just say, step out there. You know, that's, I think, the thing we're going to talk about in our next go round on for the from the forefront. We'll get to it uh, in in these next weeks if you have the availability. I'd love to. But, you know, stepping out, those first steps are awkward. I kind of... You know, I I remember a guy saying two hands while you're learning, you know, or like anything worthwhile is doing poorly till you get good at it. You know, uh, that's that's that's, that's the way it starts. That's right. True. That's the way it starts. Yeah. And so getting started, that first step is definitely the most daunting. Now, there are other daunting steps after the first oh, yeah. one. But after you get moving, you can you can dial it in in terms of precision. Yeah. So I really appreciate you being with us. I really appreciate your encouraging words, and I appreciate the life you've lived. I haven't thought about this before, Tony, and we've spent a fair amount of time together in recent years. But I do want to say, if you don't have this, uh, some of this stuff in a book, I want to encourage you. I might not be the first one who's done that, but we got to get some of this stuff chronicled for for the encouragement of the generations that lay yet ahead of us. I, have you thought about writing a book or recording some of this in stories? You may already have it. Well, I, I never thought, you know, I think the problem with all people is you never think your life's going to really amount to anything anybody would want to hear about when you're living it, you know? <laughs> but what I did do right. is because I was always worried the the IRS might want to know what I do with my time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You've been to Europe right, 41 right. times. Well, what are you doing? So guess what I did? In about 2005, it occurred to me that I should keep a blog. And so I photographed uh-huh. everything I ever did. I I know the towns mm. I've been in. I know what ministry I did, the people I've met. So if people want to see the history of this, and it's huge, it's enormous. There's hundreds and hundreds of in, of entries and Thousands of photographs. They can go to uh, for Euro information. That's for Euro information dot WordPress dot com and scroll back and they can see they can see up to about 2000, 2013. And then I switched to Facebook. So if somebody goes on to for Euro information on Facebook. Uh, they can get yeah. they can get the same thing there now, but it was just so much more immediate to do it on Facebook now with a with a yeah. phone than to do it on WordPress with yeah. a camera. So I do it all on Facebook. Yeah. But I have chronicled my entire journey as much as I can. So wow. if I wanted to write wow. a book, I could write a book. But you know, you know me well enough to know that I'm ADD. I can't think of anything for more than two seconds before I'm on to something else. So, <laughs> so the, the idea of writing a book scares the life out of me because I, yeah. I, I'm an activist. 
They had had to do with me like they did with St. Paul. In order to get me to write a book, they'd have to put me in prison where there's nothing else to do. <laughs> so now I want to do it. Yeah. But, yeah. but I, have, I have managed along the way to journal everything so that if something happens and somebody wants to know something about how this all began, it's there. Then when you say four, you're talking about the number four yeah. euro, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like, the, like the currency, the number four E-U-R-O, information on Facebook. Yeah. That's your yeah. page on Facebook. And prior to that, it would be the same number four, E-U-R-O, information dot WordPress.com yeah. for the stuff that's uh, uh, almost five years old and older. Well, thanks for Thanks for that. And if people if people want to know about real quick, if they want to know about who we are and uh, they can go mm-hmm. to www.adventive.ca. It's not com. It's C-A. Adventive.ca. And they can they can get a lot of the profile of who our missionaries are and where we're located and how to get involved mm-hmm. short term, long term, you know. Uh, so that's access wow, there. Very cool. That that is very cool. When we when we uh, get back together, we'll talk about your first and what appeared to be faltering <laughs> steps in Italy that the Lord showed up to uh, rescue Amen. you from your own concern, you know. And we'll talk some more about from starting this thing in two thousand, where some of your work's yes. taken you, and the, some of the some of the ongoing. Uh, established work that's come out of that. Really appreciate you joining us, Tony. Thank you so much for your time, bro, and your friendship and and your encouragement, your inspiration. We'll we'll catch you on the flip side uh, before long. And uh, once again, thanks for being here. Thanks, Scott. This podcast made possible through the partnership of Engaging Mission Show, bringing missions home, and encouraging you to hear a message, make connections, and take action. Find out more at engagingmissions.com. Thanks for joining us for the FX Missions podcast from the forefront. If you'd like to find out more about FX Missions, please do so at our blog, fxmissions.com. Quite a bit of content out there. We hope you enjoy it. Also, if you'd like to rate us on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use, we would really appreciate it. And find out more about today's guest at our Facebook page. Just search for From the Forefront on Facebook. If you know of someone who should be featured on From the Forefront because of their Forefront missions experience or exploits, please reach out to us at info at fxmissions.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, I'm Scott McClelland, and you have a good one.